0: a great friend of mine is gonna come up and speak. And, and I believe this, I will tell you this, he originally was supposed to be with us three years ago. And the day before he was supposed to speak, I called him and I said, Randy, I don't think that you're supposed to speak tomorrow. I said, your honorarium's already, your honorarium check's written, it, it's there for you, but I really feel like I'm supposed to speak. And Randy, in that moment, it didn't make sense. And it didn't make sense, it wasn't so much that I was supposed to speak that Sunday, it was that you were supposed to speak this Sunday. And God knows what he's doing in his timing. And I believe this. I believe that God has brought Randy here. I believe that he's got a word from the Lord. And I believe that God is doing something significant in his house. I want you to get your Bible out, and I want you to turn it on with me. We've got a long way to go, a short time to get there, and a whole lot of devils to kick on the way. Amen. And I want you to turn to the book of the Revelation, chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1 through 7. Last night, Pastor and I were walking the grounds, and I was fully prepared to bring a message that would prompt you to encourage someone to come with you next week for Friend Day until I stood on this platform, on this spot. And the Holy Spirit just began to minister and All the way back to the hotel, I found myself, along with Pastor, we both were just crying and weeping in the car, and just praying in that heavenly language. I believe the message that God has laid on my heart for you this morning will change your life if you allow it to. It's a lifetime message. It's a prophetic message. It's a message that I believe, as Pastor has already stated, is in the perfect timing of the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn with me again in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. The title of the message, Is There a Lampstand for Calvary? And is there a lampstand for America? Is there a lampstand for Calvary? And is there a lampstand for America? John on the island of Patmos receives the revelation from God himself. At the close of the first century, as the second century is beginning to emerge onto world history, God the Father began to scan, and he began to look for a church that would make a difference as the second century began to emerge. We know, based on Revelation, that he found seven churches, only five received letters of approval, two of disapproval. Well, he writes in Revelation 2 to the angel of the church in Ephesus, or the angelos. It could be a normal angel or it could be the pastor. In any case, he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. He's speaking of Jesus who walks in the churches. Verse 2. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary, verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God." Today, Americans are overloaded with information, and many are bored with it all. We are living in the information generation, and there's a restless spirit that is really taking over our nation. The average worker is brutalized just to make ends meet. I read that the 40-hour work week is now over, and the average American is working 60 to 80 hours just to make ends meet. They no longer have a work schedule, they now have a life sentence. And understanding this, when you take the time to come to the house of the Lord, to hear from God, it is the absolute responsibility of every preacher to not only hear from heaven, but to bring you the word exactly as God has given it. If you believe that, somebody shout amen understanding that we are just the messenger and the conduit for the Holy Spirit to flow through. There is a genuine hunger in the hearts of an end-time generation. People are looking for a radical change in how they live. They are looking and searching for answers. They are looking and searching for ways to raise their children. No longer can you have the normal approach to parenting. You must have a black belt in parenting or as my Puerto Rican parents said, any other kind of belt you can get your hands on. For my mother, it was a chancleta that she could throw around every corner like a boomerang. The days of cheat teaching your children the simple bedtime prayers of now I lay me down to sleep are gone never to return to the American family. Today, you must lay your hands upon your children And you must begin to pray. Devil, you keep your filthy, twisted hands off my son and off my daughter in the name of Jesus the Christ. You must pray over them. You confess your faith. You plead the blood. You read the word. And you never give up. Somebody shout, never give up. up. Well, you didn't hear me. I said, somebody shout, "Never never give up. And in the process of all of this, The modern-day church that we are no longer can be a sermonette, three songs, and let's go home. I believe every church meeting must be an all-out attack on the kingdoms of darkness. Well, you still aren't getting it yet. I believe every church meeting must be an all-out attack on the kingdoms of darkness. If you believe that, somebody shout amen. And what we used to call a holy night, what we used to classify as an awesome service, must be a mandatory part of church life every time we meet together. The moment you drive onto this campus, you must come hungry and broken, longing for the leading of God's presence. The moment you walk into the sanctuary, your hands raised and your spirit soaring. Because you must have more joy and strength than the devil has fear. You must have more Holy Spirit power and courage than the destructive nature of modern day America. And they used to teach us when I was coming up that the only way to get joy and strength and Holy Spirit power was to come to the altars of God in mass and wait for the presence of the Lord. The word tarrying is an old antiquated phrase that is no longer used. It simply means to wait with an expectancy on the presence of God, that there's no other place I'd rather be than waiting in God's presence. It was really an amazing sight in the church I grew up in. Everyone would come to the altar, the deacons, the elders, the ushers. Every family sitting in the pew, they came with an expectancy that I'm going to touch God, that if He heals me, that's fine. But if He chooses to do nothing at all, every fiber of my being just longs to be in His presence. How many say amen to that? And the main reason we came is we were just more hungry for Jesus, It seems now that we have relegated the altar to the sick, the sinner, and the hurting. And we sit back and say, well, I'm not sick today, and I'm not a sinner, and at least I'm not as bad as him over there, and I'm not emotionally hurting, so I have no reason to go to the altar. But friend, the main reason you come to the altar is you need more of Jesus, and you need the Holy Spirit greater. We need him more and more every day. We need an outpouring of the Spirit of God in America. If you believe that, somebody clap your hands for Jesus. Amen. Now, there is a special flame that comes out of a church when the people are constantly asking God for more of Him. I want to speak to you about the lampstand. When I read Revelation 2, 1 through 7, it brought to mind the awesome things I have seen as a person or a child growing up in church. I grew up in Los Angeles, California, and in Los Angeles years ago, there was a church that was a testament of God's saving grace. It was a powerhouse of God's anointing. Its storied history is amazing. When it first started, they named it Angelus Temple, and it was founded by Amy Simple McPherson. 12,000 members. They reached movie stars and professional athletes by the thousands. And there wasn't a nation in the world whose spiritual leader had not at one time or another gone to the church in the heart of Los Angeles to sit in the tangible presence of God. The tangible presence. Have you ever been in a meeting where the Holy Spirit was so tangible that your knees buckled? They would have services with people like Katherine Kuhlman and a young Oral Roberts. My grandmother and family would sit and worship in the tangible presence of God. I remember my grandmother would take me from Long Beach, California to Los Angeles, California to go to sit in those meetings and she would look at me and she would say, you haven't seen anything yet. And the whole way on the bus she would sing in Spanish and then in English and then a heavenly language. And she would sing all the hymns of the church. And she would lift her voice, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Oh, baby, you haven't seen anything yet. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And when she knew she had everyone's attention, she started singing, There's room at the cross for you. And then she would say, who wants to know Jesus? And there was always someone, because Grandma was anointed of God, and she would lead them to Christ, and we always would get off the bus, and she would look at me and she'd say, you haven't seen anything yet. Now, as far as I was concerned, we had the preaching, the praise and worship, and the altar call. All we needed was the offering to pay for the bus ride. And we'd get off the bus and we'd walk into Angela's temple into the tangible presence of God and your knees would buckle. And I'd look at her and she'd say, do you feel it? And I'd say, yeah, what is it? And she'd say, that's the anointing or the presence of God. But then she'd get real close and she'd say, your salvation is not based on feeling. Your salvation is based on grace. But isn't it good to feel the power and the presence of God? Hallelujah. That church in Los Angeles was amazing, and I believe God put in the middle of that church a lampstand like what was mentioned in Revelation chapter 2. The lampstand is a privileged position before God where Jesus walks among you. And make no mistake, as I was standing here last night with Pastor, the Holy Spirit whispered, I want to place a lampstand in Calvary, Orlando. Because a lampstand is a privileged position, it makes a church visible and viable to an entire region. And the message that goes out simply says, the presence of God dwells here. See, a church is not great because of its building. This is just a warehouse to house the harvest. A church is not great because of its talent, its money, or its ability to put on amazing programs that wow their congregations. Those are all wonderful, man-created things that I believe God will bless. However, what makes a church truly great is Christ himself is in the building, in the power of the Spirit, flowing through the talent, generating the power behind the program, hovering over the babies in the nursery, supplying every single need. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is what makes a church great. If you believe that, can you shout amen? Amen. And that's what a lampstand does. And the Bible says Jesus walked among the seven golden lampstands or churches that were privileged to be given this gift. And again, not to be repetitive, but a lampstand immediately makes a church visible and viable to an entire region. And the light that goes out from the church says the glory of God resides here, the presence of God, the healing of God, the deliverance of God, the manifestation of God's presence dwells in this place. Well, this church in Los Angeles, the lost came and sought them out in record number. Thousands were radically transformed and baptized in water. And for years, the presence of God was moving over that congregation in ministry. However, the saints who birthed the power of the lampstand in that church began to pass on to their heavenly reward. And God began to warn the church to return to what made them great. He warned about pride, secret sin, arrogance, and most of all, losing their first love. But the church leadership would not have anything to do with the warnings. They were basking in the momentum that they had. They were living in the pride of the past. And the Lord removed the lampstand. And it's an ugly, lonely feeling to own a huge auditorium, a mass facility, and have 400 people when you used to have 12,000. The building filled with spiritual cobwebs at one time was filled with the fire of God. And for many, many years, that church sat silent, only a memory of her bygone past, until Tommy and Matthew Barnett. They came from Phoenix, Arizona, and opened the Dream Center in Los Angeles, California and returned the church back to her first love. Now the Lord has again placed a lampstand in the middle of that church. Thousands are getting saved, delivered, and healed to the glory of God. They've opened homeless shelters. They've got training facilities. They've literally transformed Echo Park, which down the street from the church used to be run by the Crips and the Bloods. All the gangs of Los Angeles, now it's run by the army of God Himself. They've literally transformed that place. (laughs) Calvary, when Jesus uses the word first love in Revelation 2-4, he's not speaking about the immature love we receive and experience at our salvation. Rather, the original language translates first love to exclusive love. Exclusive love. Now, remember, God is a God of patterns. And how he treated natural Israel is how he'll treat you and I, which are spiritual Israel. And you've got to pay very close attention to follow God's mode of operation. So how does God the Father show us a picture of exclusive love? Hosea. Yes, Lord. Walk with me, Hosea. Hosea, I know you are a godly man, and you're longing for a a wife. Yes, Lord, I I long to have a wife. Hosea, I've got your wife selected for you. Walk with me. The Bible tells us that he walks Hosea down to the red light district. And he says, Hosea, there's your wife. Her name is Gomer. Lord, excuse me. She's the one waving at all the men when they go by. Lord, that's a prostitute. You're asking me to marry a prostitute. Yes, Hosea. Why, God? Hosea, when you struggle to love someone that really doesn't love you, and she embarrasses you with her habits and her hobbies and her hungers and her desires. And the only reason she comes to your house, Hosea, is out of obligation because you put a ring on her finger, clothes on her back, shoes on her feet, and you begin to put a roof over her head. So she's there out of obligation. But the only time she's there out of obligation, she's constantly looking at her watch, wondering when she can actually leave so she can go fulfill the desires of her sinful heart always constantly wondering, have I fulfilled my obligation? Then you get word, Hosea, that she's on the slave table, and you have to go redeem her. And you don't redeem her once. You don't redeem her twice. You don't redeem her three times. No, Hosea, you redeem her time after time after time after time after time. Then, Hosea, you'll understand what it is for a holy God to love you. And to love you. Exclusive love. It's amazing when you read through this church at Ephesus, you realize how God really cared for them. Paul compliments them at length in Ephesians 1.19. He addresses them as the faithful in Christ Jesus, blessed with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places with Christ. Remember, the word Christ means the anointed one, the Christos. So he says that they were blessed with spiritual blessings with the anointed one, chosen before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 2, 5, and 6 says they were quickened with Christ, Christ's workmanship. What a description of a blessed, holy people. Now, I must confess, when I read that Jesus walking amongst such well-taught believers as Ephesians, he says, I have something against you, it grips my heart. And I have to ask, Lord, do you have something against me? In the last 28 years, I've traveled this country, in every state in the nation, conferences and leadership conferences and marriage conferences, in the midst of all of the preaching and teaching and worship, Lord, do you have something against me? One writer puts it this way. Jesus is saying, it's not enough for you to be a caring, giving, diligent servant who grieves over sin and preaches truth. It's not enough for you to uphold moral standards, enduring suffering for Christ's sake, or possibly be burned at the stake for your faith. This is all a part of taking up your cross and following Jesus. You can do all these things in Christ's name. But if in the process of doing all of these things, your affection for Christ is not increasing, if he is not becoming more and more the one delight of your heart, then you are losing your first love, your exclusive love, and you will no longer be my witness. He simply won't recognize what you are doing because you've lost your first love. Last night, as I walked back and forth in that hotel and was praying for Calvary, the Holy Spirit whispered, tell them in the last three years, I've been bringing them back to their first love. Exclusive love. I've been calling them to a deeper purpose. Revelation 2.5, remember the height from which you have fallen Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. There is no doubt in my mind that God has selected this church from the very inception of this church, from the very day the blueprints were being drawn up to be a lampstand or a candlestick that would reach the entire east coast of Florida. There's no doubt about it. And Satan has done everything he can in the storied history of this congregation to try to snuff out that lampstand. But God is bringing you a word that this morning he is telling you, I long to set the lampstand in this church. I want this church to become visible and viable to an entire region simply because my presence dwells here. By an upraised hand, how many say, I want it, Brother Randy, I want it. We want it. I believe that churches are given lampstands, but so are families given lampstands. And individuals are given lampstands. And there are people in this church that God longs to call you to your first love, your exclusive love, and put a lampstand in your home that when people walk in, they sense the presence of God. And they walk in and they say, you know, there's something different here. Uh, It's not the decor, oh, it's beautiful, but uh, there's a presence here, there's a peace here. Growing up, in my home church, Wilmington First Assembly, we had a little lady by the name of Gladys Pearson. She was a missionary, never got married, and she came home because of severe arthritis. Her knees and uh, her fingers were gnarled and twisted. She had a hump in her back. She had a little bun that she always wore. Remember when we had buns and we were all in bondage, you know, and you were just, you're slow, but you're worth waiting for. And she would walk in with her walker and she would push it in to the center door under the balcony and you would hear her say, Holy Spirit, I'm coming. She'd walk as far as she could, and when she got to the front, she would tap you on the shoulder, and she'd say, Baby, can you help Mother Pearson pray today? It's hard for me to bend my knees. Can you bend my knees? And they would take her all the way over to the side by the organ, and they would lay her prostrate. The Greek word proskania where we get our English word prostrate. And there would come a sound out of Sister Pearson, the likes I'll never forget. It wasn't scary, it it wasn't manipulative, it was just a very quiet. And, And the presence of God became tangible. And I would ask her, Sister Pearson, why is it that you just don't kneel at the front? Why do you got to go all the way to the side? And she would say, "Oh, you kids know nothing. I don't want to rob God of any of his glory." I'm old enough to remember when the prayer room was more popular than the coffee bar. Do you really want the lamp stand? And Sister Pearson would just begin to, oh, I didn't understand. I began to say, Lord, what is this emotion that is so profound that there are no words to express it? Until I got into the upper education and I found out that the Hebrew word for the word groan means a yearning and a longing for more of the Christ. There's a hunger in your heart stimulated by the Holy Spirit, and God wants to place a lampstand in homes in this church. If you want the lampstand in your home, let me see your hand. So not only does God give lampstands to nations and to churches and families, but He gives lampstands to nations. And he chooses a nation to carry the lampstand. And he tells that nation, as long as you are faithful and obedient and righteous, I will put a lampstand in your nation, and you will be the seat of Christianity to all the world. It all started the moment the Apostle Paul was born again. His life was summed up in the city of Rome. Rome was the first lampstand or seat of Christianity to the world. The book of Romans shows the heart of the Apostle Paul and the passion of Paul greater than anything he ever wrote. Did you know that Italy was the first lampstand of Christianity? Then the lampstand was moved by God to London, England. At one time in history, the British sent powerful missionaries around the world. Their Bible colleges and universities bulged with mighty prophetic preaching and teaching, and they sent them around the world. And just as they had been imperialistic and conquering nations, they went out and spread the gospel with the same fervor. But at the close of every century, something strange begins to happen to the lampstand nation. History tells us that the last decade of every century has repeatedly run the same course, 1790 to 1800, 1890 to 1900. 1990 to the year 2000, and now only by the grace of God, the year 2000 to 2017. We're really by the grace of God. We still have it. God's grace. It's amazing at the, that the, the lampstand, they will hit the peak of immorality in, in, before they lose it. Biblical historian Dr. David McKenna, after studying Rome, England, and now present day America, has isolated several telltale warning signs the lampstand is possibly going to be moved by God. And I want you to pay very close attention. Again, after studying Rome and London, England, and now present day America, here's the first sign that God may be moving the lampstand. The system of justice and criminal law breaks down and the legal system collapses under the weight of all the cases they must try. Number two, politicians become absolutely indistinguishable from each other. The people feel there is no longer any choice in leadership, so there's confusion in the nation and in the voting. Number three, the wealth is inordinately transferred to an elite group, so the government steps in and redistributes the wealth, causing heavy imbalances in the financial system. Is this starting to sound familiar? Number four, immorality becomes pandemic. And number five, the church becomes lethargic and inward, losing its influence in the mainstream culture. And here's the point, over 200 years ago, England relinquished the lampstand as a seat of Christianity, and it moved west to the United States of America. And America, we became a great nation, not because of our money or our talent or our ingenuity or even our American self-determination, but we became a great nation because we took this gift of God, the lampstand, and said, Lord, we will be the missionary nation to the world. And we will not be ashamed to proclaim the greatness of God to the four corners of the, God, of the globe. America, we have eclipsed by the grace of God all that England has ever achieved. For their great John Wesley, the Lord gave us Charles Finney. For their Charles Spurgeon, the Lord gave us Dr. D.L. Moody. Talk about a lampstand with the Billy Graham Association. Talk about a lampstand, a black, guy, one black, a black man with one eye. A one-eyed black preacher named William Seymour wasn't allowed in many white churches, so he went to the other side of the tracks in Azusa, California, and the presence and the power of God set down in an old barn there in Azusa, California. It was the birthing of the Assemblies of God, the Church of God in Christ, the four-square church. People would come out of wheelchairs, blinded eyes were opening, the deaf were hearing, And the people went to their pastor, and they said, Pastor, you're embarrassing us. We're looking to the sacred desk to find the mighty man of God, but we find you laying in the altar on your face with your head in an old shoebox. And William Seymour said, Child, in a true move of God, you find out there's no such thing as a mighty man of God, only a man that serves a mighty God. That's what the lampstand does. The lampstand is a privileged position before God, where Jesus walks among you. Now history gives us the next warning sign. In the late 18th century, just prior to England losing the lampstand, more people were going to seances and interested in the supernatural than they were attending church. In the city of London, England, just prior to them losing the lampstand, 60,000 prostitutes were operating in the city. 60,000. Their church was abandoned. Morals were gone. Meanwhile, men like Whitfield and Wesley were preaching in America, and the lampstand moved west. In America today, sin comes disguised as art, education, music, and culture. It's just a movie. No big deal, Pastor. It's just certain music, it's no big deal. Even today, there may be people here who do not believe that I should speak in this manner. They are convinced that this type of preaching no longer is needed in today's culture. Well, I beg to differ. The Apostle Paul said that if we don't preach the gospel at the very point the devil is attacking, that we are not truly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've got a responsibility to an end-time generation to tell them it's okay to be cool and have good, clean fun, but it's also okay to be a Bible-believing, overcoming child of God, to believe that there is a biblical worldview and Jesus is coming again. If you believe that, clap your hands for Jesus. Yes. But America has sent a resounding signal. I want to practice whatever sexual promiscuity I want. I want no intrusion. And if I make a mistake, I want the government to pay for it. America is saying, forget hard work. I want a free meal. Meanwhile, there's a church in Seoul, Korea, that is fasting 24 hours a day. They could be annihilated by North Korea at any moment. A church of well over 800,000 people, led by Dr. David Yonggi Cho and his family. And they're praying that God would send a lampstand there. Singapore is exploding with a cadre of multi-billionaires that are giving to the cause of Christ. I'm told the greatest growing church right now is the underground church in mainland China. Africa and Haiti are showing all the energy and all the signs that we had over 200 years ago when we received a lampstand from England. Asia is praying and it may move again. America, you hear me. Church, don't miss this because I want the lampstand to stay in our nation. And I know for a fact that America is not being protected by our money or our intellectuals, but we're being protected by the very presence of Almighty God. I want you to hear me as I close and the musicians come quickly. Here's the question today. Do you want the lampstand... Does the church in America really want the lampstand? Because by our actions, we are stating we really don't know. See, Revelation 2, 6 says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Listen now as I close this. The Nicolaitans were preaching a doctrine called antinominism. The Nicolaitans were founded by Nicholas, who was one of the magnificent seven in Acts chapter 6. He was brought to the Lord on one of the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. The theologians tell us he was a free thinker, and he created a doctrine that said, it really doesn't matter how you live your life during the week as long as you put money into the offering or as long as you show a little bit of faith. It's called antinomianism. Theologians would say that he would teach simply having faith allows you to do as you please. I could live however I like. God doesn't care. I could sleep around. I could get drunk. I could do whatever I want. God really doesn't care, pastor. But scripture says that Jesus said, I hate all doctrines of easy believism that overlooks the deeds of the flesh. And I long for my people to want the lampstand. Easy believism says, well, let somebody else give to the hurricane relief. I've done my part. Easy believism says, well, it's no big deal. God knows my heart. Easy believism says, I really don't have to listen to God. the question for Calvary, how bad do you want the lampstand? God has graced you with an amazing facility. And again, I was going to preach a complete different message until pastor drove me around the parking lot And began to show me the different areas and things. And the Lord says, you tell them, I'm longing to place it here. But it directly depends on how bad they want it. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Jensen Franklin, the pastor of Free Chapel, he shares a story that he and his family were going to go to SeaWorld here in Orlando. And they were going to leave on Monday to be in the park on Tuesday. But his wife, Cherise, came to him and said, no, baby, listen, I I just feel we need to leave after church on Sunday and be in the park on Monday. He goes, oh, Cherise, come on now. You know, if I do that, I've got to change the airline tickets, the hotel. I've already bought the SeaWorld tickets online. And she says, I'm just telling you, I'm I'm feeling this prompting. We need to be there on Monday, a lampstand. She was so adamant that Jensen said, okay, honey, okay, and he changed everything, and they were in the park on Monday instead of on Tuesday, and they were sitting in the large outdoor arena for the Dolphin Show, and out of nowhere, as it happens here in Florida, a storm came up, and a downpour came, and everyone ran under the bleachers to get out. Well, he and his wife and his two little girls, one about four, one about six, they ran under the bleachers as well, and a thunderclap came. It was so loud that everyone screamed, and his youngest daughter, she ran across to a young lady in her early 20s and grabbed her around the waist. Jensen said, I looked at my wife, and I said, this is strange. She she doesn't do that. And they walked over, and they tried to pry their youngest daughter away, but she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't let go finally the young lady looked over and said please let her stay what you don't know is I had a little girl her age that just died of congestive heart failure I haven't been out of the house for six weeks and my parents finally convinced me to come to SeaWorld today and Cherise her eyes opened she realized we're a lampstand She said, when your little girl put her arms around me, I felt the healing presence of God pour from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. God longs to lay a lampstand in your home. How bad do you want it? God longs to lay a lampstand in this congregation to fill this auditorium with broken people that they might be delivered. And everything in me says it's time to pray. And we're not coming to the altar today to pray for survival. We're not coming to the altar today to pray for God to meet our needs. We're coming to the altar today to ask God to fulfill the prophetic promise He made at the founding of this church. Lord, you said that you were going to do amazing things with this church. So Lord... We're coming because we're longing for the lampstand. Not the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. We're longing for more of you. To ask God for the spirit of fire that would melt our hearts and become more like Christ. Because Calvary, we need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And it starts with our willingness to romance the spirit of God in the altars of grace.